I can't feel my fingers anymore. I lied. They're, they're, they're numb. Maybe you should wear these extra gloves. My hands are starting to get sweaty. Backhand towards the goal, loose puck, everybody scores! Tie game! Can you believe it? Defended by Simmons, is this the dagger? Yo, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back for another episode of Frostbite Sports, where we're giving you ice ice cold name and spicy hot takes. Uh, brought to you by Blue Collar Media Group. I'm Harrison Brooks, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Jeff Oak. What's going on, man? Oh, you know, just sweating. Got the Duke game coming up, pretty much season on the line, so I'm a little bit a little bit nervous. What's the uh, like? Like they have a chance of missing the whole tournament right here, or what? Yeah, definitely. If they lose to Louisville tonight, it's pretty well toast. Damn. What? How? If they do miss the tournament, like when's the last time Duke has not been in the March Madness? I want to say somewhere around twenty to twenty-five years. Yeah, crazy. Mm-hmm. But uh, moving on from that, and, uh, and so we don't raise uh, Jets' anxiety even more about it. Um, it's been a bit of. It's been a been a while since our last episode and of course a, a lot has gone on in the world of sports um so i mean let's dive into some of the biggest news from the last couple of weeks first off uh blake griffin gets out of his contract with the pistons signs with the nets uh what are your thoughts on this move jeff uh gotta start by saying look the guy's putting up 12 5 and 4 that's still starter numbers in the nba it's not magnificent but it still is uh, he's only two years removed from being a 25, eight and five guy. And you have to keep in mind too, that the Pistons seem to be phasing him out of the offense, whether it was intentional or not. And they're a bad team to begin with. So it's gotta be hard to play well when you're surrounded by average to below average help. Uh, currently he's actually on a career best pace for turnover to steal ratio. So obviously Brooklyn had to take a look at that and say, sweet. So at very least we can use him on the defensive end. Uh, you take into account he's 32. So, I mean, if the narrative is that he's washed, I don't think it's an age issue necessarily. So I think that that's maybe something he could work himself out of. Uh, he's got a contract that's sub $780,000, which like that's, that's ridiculous. You're getting a former all-star for nothing. And, um, it, it helps the, the offense and defense in the sense of positioning KD at the power forward just does not work defensively. He's made to be the long-arm defender on shooters at the perimeter. He's not made to face guys who are basically twice his weight that can just bully ball him. Yeah, he's a he's a string bean for sure. Blake is six foot nine. He's basically Gumby. Pounds. <laughs> yeah. So when you when you plug in a guy that just all muscle in that defensive spot, it's gonna completely change the defense, I think. So that's kind of where I'm at with Blake. Yeah, I'm I'm of the opinion. I think Blake Griffin is completely washed up. I I mean, like you said, twelve five and four. That's fine. Like I'm not saying he's he can't play, and like this is a fine depth piece to add. I just 
I don't know. There's people out there. The narrative seems to be that the big three just became the big four. And I think that's way out to lunch. Um, like you said, he's two years removed from being 25, eight and five player. Two years is a long time, especially when you're considering a guy who's clearly on the decline of his career. That's a long time. And, and you know, yeah, 12, five and four. I don't think he's going to put up 12 points a game with the Nets. Um, there's too much, too many big shooters to taking over the ball there. I don't think he's even going to put up that one. So, I mean, it's a, it's a fine, it's definitely a good depth piece. You know, I'm not, not, uh, you know, down on that part of the move. It just, I just don't think he's, I don't think he makes the nets a big four. He's, he's a great, great guy to add, to, to add some depth. And like you said, yeah, play a little bit of defense and just take care of, you know, some of the stuff that the, the big three aren't taking care of, uh, Boxing guys out, getting some rebounds. To be honest with you, I don't think I don't think there's enough offensive possessions in a basketball game to even have a big four, even if you had four all stars. I don't think it would matter because there's only so much ball that can well, go yeah, around. I mean, anyways, look at, uh, look at the the Warriors there when a lot of games Draymond was getting under ten points, but he was you know being a beast on the boards and playing great defense. Right, like he's an all star too. But you know yeah. when they when they had. Curry and Clay and KD, they didn't need him to score. They just needed him to do all the other stuff. So yeah, I guess if Blake yeah. Griffin can be uh, Draymond Light, it's, uh, it's a good... <laughs> Could be a tall task. He's generally an offensive player, but uh, I think the, the statistics of what he's doing this year defensively shows that he's trying to shape his game a little bit differently, which is good. You need to be able to change or you'll be out of the league yeah. quick. And like, I mean, I'm this, this one, the stat sounds almost impossible but he hasn't dunked in over a full year he hasn't dunked since 2019 how like yeah. how how is that even possible this is the guy who like built a name on being like this big power dunker posterizing guys literally Long hasn't City. dunked in in over a year year and a half hasn't thrown down a dunk and yeah. so it's like i'm sure he will with the nets but like that's shocking and that's that yeah. makes me question. I think a lot of people theorize that that's just him mailing it in with the Pistons. Like, I don't think he wanted to play for them anymore, obviously. I mean, he he paid $13 million to not be a Piston. So, uh, yeah, I think it's probably something along those lines. Uh, I mean, tack on, he's been injured. He's, he's very injury prone too, so that could be it. Yeah, I guess we'll just have to see how this one plays out, but I'm not, I'm not of the opinion that... You know, I, I feel like if, if say, Andre Drummond gets out of his contract and goes to the Lakers, I feel like those are very comparable players adding or additions to those two teams. I don't think either of them move the needle, but they're just a good depth I piece. Drummond's, I think Drummond's quite a bit better than Blake at this like point. Like offensively? I don't really know. Uh, I don't know Drummond's stats. Both, both ends. Uh a combination like Drummond is never going to blow you out with any kind of shooting statistics or anything like that, but he gets the ball down low. He's going to dunk it. And if it's on the defensive end, he can guard anybody. That's a big, so. Okay. Fair enough. Maybe Drummond's a little better than I was giving him credit for, but I just, uh, yeah, don't, don't view. My worry was that Brooklyn was going to get Drummond. That would have been been bad for Lakers fans and, and LeBron fans like me. Um, moving on though, JJ Watts surprised everybody. And instead of signing with a legitimate contender, he signed with the up and coming dark horse in Arizona with the Cardinals. I'm going to start with you again, Jet. Um, I mean, what's your take on, on this one here? 
I think like it's a it's a neat idea in theory. Uh, it's kind of one of those things where you looked at it like, oh, you know, these guys are close. I can be the piece to put them over the top kind of thing. But I don't think JJ realized that like close for them is just making playoffs. It's it's not being a Super Bowl contender. Um, and I don't know that he can be the guy to put him over the top. I'm not sure he has a whole ton of juice left. Uh, to be fair, he's likely doubled on most plays and he had a major injury in 2019, but he's only recorded nine sacks in the last 24 games that he's played after having 16 sacks in 16 games in 2018. So that's a bit of a concern for me. Interestingly though, the first year of JJ's deal is only a $5 million cap hit. That leaves the remaining $16 million for the next year of the deal. So it's got me kind of wondering if the Cardinals have more up their sleeve for this offseason. I can't help but wonder if they'd be willing to part with their franchise QB and Kyler Murray to reunite Hopkins and Watt with their former QB, Deshaun Watson. Yeah, that is an interesting thing to think about there. Um, I'm going to get to that one, but uh, starting with JJ, um, I always feel like this is what I've noticed. Um, it's very rare for a player who... You know, at one point, like JJ was the best defensive player in the league for a long time, right? Um, I think it's very rare for people, players of that caliber, to recognize when they are declining, um, and and then be able to like have that in mind when they're picking their contracts. You see it all the time, like you know, he's got two decent years left, kind of thing. You know, this contract is basically it for him, and it's not, it's not you know, classic Pro Bowl JJ either that they're getting. So, you know, he may he may have thought that he's maybe going to be the guy to kind of vault them into real contender status, but I don't think he's that guy anymore. And and you, and usually these guys don't recognize it until it's too late. Um, so I, I think he missed his opportunity to sign with a, a legitimate contender, a team that his addition would have made the difference. You know, he'll be great for a mentorship for this young young Arizona team, but they're not going to be competing for the Super Bowl in his during his contract. So he, he kind of missed his opportunity there. But that being said, yeah. Kyler for Deshaun, that's one of the few trades in the league that I could see being almost one for one. I could see Houston being like, you know what? If we can get yeah. anything, you know, we can get these huge packages, but we're never going to get a guy like Kyler Murray. So if if Arizona did offer that, I could see Houston being interested in making that a one for one, but I don't know if I don't know if Arizona should. I mean, don't get me wrong, Deshaun Watson is, in my opinion, the second best quarterback in the league right now, and he's going to be for the next eight years. But we don't really know what Kyler Murray is. You know, he had a great season this year. He's getting better. He's accurate. He can run like the wind. He's literally faster than Lamar Jackson. He's shifty as hell. You know, this could be the guy that you can win, a, and and he's on his rookie contract still. That that part's huge. You know, it's a lot easier to yeah. It's a lot easier to no, win I, when you're paying a quarterback. I don't even know what a rookie contract is like. You know, but it's not thirty five million, right? Nothing. You know, <laughs> once they start making thirty five yeah. plus million, it's a lot harder to build a championship contending team. I just kind of like I know the jury's still out on Kyler, but when I watch Kyler, I, I just feel like Deshaun Watson is what Kyler wants to be. You know, he's just kind of working his way there still. I don't know if he'll ever get to that point, but, um, there, you know, the potential, the potential's there. It's undeniable. Yeah, he's pretty much a, a, just a small Deshaun Watson. 
in the making. But yeah, I mean, it, it's obviously now that JJ and DeAndre are there, it's obviously interesting to be like get get the old uh, get the old Houston back together in Arizona. That's pretty funny. Yeah, get the band back together. But anyways, before we dive into the rest of our hot takes, I want to take a minute to tell you about one of Blue Collar Media Group's sponsors, LivingMyBestCigarLife.com. They have over 1,500 premium cigars, various size humidors, and gift sets, as well as name brand accessories and monthly specials. Check out their Facebook, at LivingMyBestCigarLife, and their Twitter, at MyBestCigarLife, for more info. And when you make your first order, make sure to use MyBestCigarLife, in all caps, for a $10 discount. Don't just live your best life, live your best cigar life. And for any ladies out there listening, we didn't forget about you. Neither did LoveyCo.com. They've got all the latest fashions and tips at great prices. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, head over to LoveyCo.com and put in the promo code BCMG for 10% off your first order. All right, this next one, this one's got me buzzing, man. I'm so pumped for this one. My boys, the Calgary Flames, they had a change in the guard over the last week. They brought back Daryl Sutter, one of the best coaches in the team's history, the guy who was behind the bench for their storybook run in 2004. He's a two-time Stanley Cup champion with the LA Kings. Should be three. The puck was in for Calgary. That should count, um, but I digress. Um, he's coming out of retirement for this job. I actually heard a rumor that a couple of years ago he basically said, I will coach the Flames and that's it or else I'm retiring. Flames went with Bill Peters. Daryl's retired. Now there's a rumor going around that uh, it was actually ownership that kind of forced Trey Living's hand to bring in Daryl. Um, but I don't know about that, if that's true or not. It's just kind of uh, reading the cards a little bit. I hope um, it is. But yeah, it's pretty cool that he's he's back. He wants to be back. He's excited to be back. Um, and it has Flames fans pumped. I'm on the forums, and I don't think I've ever seen this much excitement. Um, maybe outside of, I mean, outside of that storybook run, um, in 2004, but also two years ago when they were a second place team in the league. I don't even think people were as excited for the team then because they, you could kind of see that they tailed off in the second half of the year and people were bringing that up. But now it's all, it's all on the up and up. Um, Jet, before I rant about this some more, um, what are your thoughts on this? How do you think this partnership between Daryl Sutter and this Calgary Flames team is going to work? Personally, I love it. Bring back the the home favorite. Why don't you? Uh, does wonders for the fan base, obviously, which certainly is going to add some juice to the locker room. Uh, it's like hitting the refresh button on the morale around the team, which uh, I think was very needed in Calgary. On top of that, you're bringing in a proven winner. He's uh, he's going to be great for two reasons. One, he'll likely uh, have more potential than anybody else that was in the free agent market for coaches uh, to get the best out of this group you could be looking at a major turnaround for the team because of the coaching itself. The second point being that uh, if things do not turn around, you have a guy that you know is a great coach. It's confirmed. And you know that he's not the problem. Therefore, you can start to pinpoint in the organization who is the problem other than the coach. And it doesn't instantly go, oh, well, the coach sucks, right? Uh, Side note here, Sutter is very well known for his defensive mind. Uh, and I think that's going to do wonders for Jacob Markstrom. And there's going to be no surprise for me whatsoever if I hear Markstrom's name coming up in Vesna conversations down the line. One other thing I wanted to note too is I think that the time Sutter had off was really good for him because when he was with the LA Kings, a lot of people were talking about how the game was uh, evolving and the coaching wasn't, wasn't evolving with it in LA. That could be fair. 
But I think with time away, a guy has a chance to watch from kind of a, you know, third person view, see what coaches are doing nowadays as a fan and uh, kind of adjust to that new game. So that, uh, yeah, this is a great spot for the Flames and for Sutter. Okay. I'm going to pick apart kind of your thing there and uh, make some points on, on that. But yeah, I I agree a hundred percent the, um, with knowing that Sutter, the coach is now not the problem. Uh, we can see if there if this team's got what it takes or if major changes need to be made. That's huge. I mean, fans have been calling for Monaghan to be traded, calling for Gaudreau to be traded, calling for all these guys to get shipped out because they don't look like they did a few years ago. And I had to keep going on and commenting on these forums, be like, just, I mean, it's obviously the coach right now. Like, Jeff Ford was not it. Uh, he was a big part of their struggles, I feel. And people are calling for Trey Living to get fired, like everything. And I was like, no, start with the coach because that can make a huge change in itself. And then once we know for a fact that the coach is a legitimate, like Daryl Sutter is legitimately a top five coach in the league. We know he's not the problem. If players are struggling under him, they're part of the problem and they need to be addressed. So that's a good point that you brought up. Second, you brought up how in L.A., People were trying to start talking about how the game is kind of evolving past Sutter. And and maybe he has adjusted his take a little bit um, in his time off. But those L.A. teams, they were they were one of the best possession teams in the league. Even if when they were struggling, they're a great possession team. That's kind of the way that the league is trending. So I think it was a little misguided to say that the, the league was passing Daryl Sutter by um, because his teams were always great possession teams and and very defensively responsible to boot. So. I think that part is is always is always part of his game. He's always going to have a good mind for what the NHL is right now and and how to get the most of his players. One thing that I'm seeing a lot is, oh, he only knows how to coach big, heavy, hard-hitting teams like the LA Kings, who are a giant team, right? Well, that's not true. Uh, a few years ago, when Glenn Goldson was the coach of the Flames, Daryl Sutter worked a little bit as an analyst. And one of the things he said was, oh, this Flames team needs to be faster. They need a faster transition. Not, not that they need more speed on their team. They need to transition the puck faster. And that's clear as day. And that's when he got brought back this year. That's the first thing he said is no more of this D to D behind the net, back and forth, let the defense get set up. We're a fast transition team. We don't have the fastest skaters in the flames, but we have guys who can score off the rush. So we need to get the puck up fast. Don't let the defense get set up in their positions and keep them on their heels. And that's how we're going to win games. That's basically the first thing he said when he came in. The thing that has me most excited, because I'll admit I wasn't on board of hiring uh, Daryl Sutter. And then when it got announced, I started reading and and started learning more about kind of specifically what Daryl Sutter brings to a team. The thing that has me the most excited is this guy's a master puppeteer. Like this guy's almost genius level at manipulating his players. He finds out specifically what gets each guy going and then you know, uses it. He fucking pokes at him, pokes at him, pokes at him in this specific way for every guy to get them fired up. And that's kind of what happens to these, these kind of coaches that have a hard ass nature. They get run out of places in two or three years because eventually that wears down on the players too much. But for those first couple two or three years, yeah, it's great success because, you know, every player is firing on all cylinders all the time. So that's what I'm most excited about, about Daryl Sutter. He's going to come in. He's going to, just manipulate everything around him. Another thing he's really good at is he takes pressure and focus off of his team and puts it on the other team. A good example of this was when he was coaching in LA, 
The Flames were coming into town. Basically, LA needed to win to make the playoffs. Flames ended up winning that game and and stopping them from making the playoffs. But before the game, uh, Daryl Sutter was asked about Sean Monahan. What was his response? Oh, Sean Monahan. He's one of the best centers in this entire conference. He's one. He's going to be one of the best centers in the NHL. Does he think that? Probably not. But he just wanted to put that all the focus on. Oh, did you hear what Daryl Sutter about Sean Monahan? He's great. He's he's this star up and comer. Now all of a sudden everyone's talking about Sean Monahan. They're not talking about how much pressure is on LA to win this game, right? He does these little things. Everything he says is calculated. Yeah. Everything he does is calculated. And yeah, I'm I'm excited. My biggest worry though, is we're halfway through the season. It might be too late. I mean, it's not they're not that yeah. far out of the playoffs, especially when every game is a four point game. But it's going to be tough. They're going to have to win like two thirds of their games left to make the playoffs. Um, but knowing Daryl Sutter's teams, all you need to do is make that eight seed, and every, anything's possible. He's taken two of them to the uh, to the Stanley Cup, so I, I'm pumped. Yeah, as you should be. That's awesome, uh, and that's a, a good way to put things. I think uh, you know when you hear hear about him manipulating the the environment around him, it's very Bill yeah. Belichick esque. That's the vibe I kind of got there. Which uh, that's a good comparison yeah, for to have. Sure. <laughs> so I'm I'm just I can't wait to see this team. Even if all that changes is they're putting in efforts like consistently, that's good enough for me. Because well, one of the things he said, and this is again probably one of those things, just he's calculated and he's just saying it to to move the uh, the center of focus off of where it where it was before. But one of the first things he said when he got hired is that first period against Edmonton two nights ago, he said that was the best period of hockey he's seen any team play in the NHL this year. And I'm sure it was great. I've had my, I didn't get to watch it. I had my friends tell me how awesome the flames looked in that period. So it was a great period of hockey. Does he really think it was the best period of hockey that any team in the NHL has played this year? I don't know. Maybe he does, but it's one of those things that just putting it in the back of his team's mind that, Hey, you can be as good as anybody in the league. You just need to play like that. And so uh, it's just, it's cool to have that guy who knows exactly what he needs to do to get the most of his teams. But uh, moving on. Okay. So this one's more of just a, more just for fun. I'm not going to take too long on it, but so a couple weeks ago, our boy, Jacob Carr, he was on our show last episode. He wrote an article detailing how Megatron Calvin Johnson is the biggest what if player in NFL history. It's a good read. You should go check it out on bluecollarmg.com. But naturally got to the, the, got the discussion going as to who the goat wide receiver is in the NFL. And now, so I can't discredit the longevity of Jerry Rice or how great he was. And there's no real argument for anyone to be better than Jerry Rice. Like he is the goat and there's no real argument for that, which is why I can't take too much time on this when it's more of just a, a fun look at things. Even if you like extrapolate out Megatron's numbers to a reasonable age, 36 or so, if he hadn't retired early, he still comes out behind Jerry Rice in most categories. All that being said, though, I believe Megatron is the true wide receiver go to the NFL because if you were to build the perfect wide receiver in a lab, I honestly think you'd come away with pretty much exactly Calvin Johnson. Speed, size, strength, body control, hands, route running. He had it all. So did Jerry Rice. But I'm going to ask you this directly, Jet. Without stats, history, anything like that, you're starting a team. You have these two guys standing next to each other. You know that you're getting one of the best receivers of all time, so you don't have to worry about that. Would you not want the stronger, 
faster, taller guy who has just as good as hands and just as good at route running. It's just tough because I can't get past the fact that in an era where we're actually getting QBs who are throwing 5,000, yes, 5,000 yards a season that we aren't seeing Rice's records falling more. He was just that good. Regular season, playoffs, Super Bowl, did not matter. He was consistently showing up, and he was the best player on the field, night in, night out. Not just receiver, best player. I get that logistically, Megatron looks like a super alpha male, but then again, so does LeBron James, and I'm still taking Travis Kelsey over him at the tight end position. I also can't simply forget that one guy had a full healthy goat career where he actually did the whole time. He did get all the awards, accolades, and records, while the other kind of just fizzled out into the history of the NFL. It's just too many layers to pull off of Rice and to add on to Megatron to even be worth comparing for me personally anyways. It's just, uh, it's tough. I, I get it. I understand like the body type. I get all that stuff. But like Jerry was doing things in an era that you weren't supposed to do those things and it's still not getting touched in an era where you are supposed to do those things. You know what I mean? Like it's insane. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, I got a couple of things. I know you just added the LeBron James, Travis Kelsey thing because I've made the argument that LeBron James would be one of the best tight ends of all time. I know you just did that to dig at me a little bit. And I'm doubling down <laughs> on that because if you give me a LeBron James who never dedicated his life to basketball, who dedicated his life to football, think about the brain on him. Think about the way he takes care of his body. Think about everything that LeBron James is. Yeah, he would be better than Travis Kelsey. I am guaranteeing he would be better than Travis Kelsey as a tight end throughout Maybe. a career. So I'm doubling down on that part. He's, Maybe. I mean, he's probably the greatest athlete to ever play a team sport in history. Well, I guess it depends on the definition of athlete. It's kind of different for everyone. That's true. But I mean, can you even think of someone who's a better athlete than LeBron James? Well, I mean... There's probably soccer players that people would say are better at their sport than LeBron is at well, his. I don't think that's true. LeBron's literally the best basketball player of all time. How can how can someone be a better soccer well, player? But that's, that's your opinion. Yeah, okay. At worst, he's number two. Okay. I'm just saying. There's uh, what's his face? That dude, that super handsome, that has that ugly statue. What's his name? Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, that guy isn't he supposed to be way better at soccer than anybody? No, I think Messi's. <laughs> I think Messi's just as good, if not a little bit better. So it's the same debate. Yeah, same debate, but you can't say that he's a better athlete because it's the same. He's in the same situation. Anyways, the second thing I want to pick out here: Megatron didn't fizzle out of the NFL. He didn't. There was no fizzle out. He retired way too early because he was just sick of losing and sick of getting okay. his beat up. So abrupt stop. Yeah. My there bad. we go. I just, I just had to put. <laughs> A hissy fit just, and then I just needed that on record. It's not a fizzle out. A fizzle out is what we're seeing with Blake Griffin here, where he's kind of just coming down to the end of his career and he's not doing much. Was it just too much pride on Megatron's end to not play for a different team and not ask for a trade? Like, I don't get that. Yeah, I don't know. Probably, though, I guess. Because, like, I mean, I don't know what the league was like, but I feel like now more than ever, guys are more comfortable just being like, yeah, if I could trade me, I'm done. Yeah. You know, but back when he was even, even though that was what, 10 years ago, yeah. I, yeah, I think it was a different time. Like guys weren't really doing that as much. So yeah, I, I don't think, I think he wanted, he wanted Detroit to be a contender so badly 
and but he knew that mm-hmm. they weren't weren't going to be in the next six years of his career. So he was just like, you know what, I'm I'm out. But I have no idea. I haven't actually looked yeah. into his reasoning so mu- too much. You know, a comparable guy to Megatron's like size and ability was probably Terrell Owens. To be honest with you, very similar players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. But and uh, then yeah, Randy Moss was very I, similar size and and everything wise to to Jerry Rice. Yeah, yeah, except like a foot taller. <laughs> I don't think so. Wasn't Randy Moss only like six two? No, he was like six four, and Jerry was what like six. Uh, uh, like obviously a foot is yeah. an exaggeration, but I thought Jerry Rice was like six two. I thought both of them were like the six two six three range. Well, I just always remember about Randy is those crazy long arms. Like he could just anybody anybody defending him, it didn't matter because he was just so long (laughs) you could just throw it so high it didn't matter basically what i remember about randy moss is playing in it or madden like 2006 or 2007 i would do fantasy drafts and it didn't matter i didn't know anything about any player that wasn't an offensive player all i would do is just draft a quarterback with a decent arm and randy moss in the first two rounds and and i would win like (laughs) 70 to like 14 in every game because i would just throw hell marys to randy Randy Moss every <laughs> every single play. Why not? And it worked, yeah. It worked. It was basically like the 2004 Madden 04 with Michael Vick. It was like Randy Moss was a cheat yeah. code in, in Madden 06 or 07. But before we close out the show, we want to take a quick moment to talk about another sponsor, Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is a daily sports app that's doing things a little bit differently. They took out the hours of research needed to find those hidden gems that no one else knows about because they keep it to the top tier players. It's best on best. You spend your cap, you build your roster, and you win money. And if you download the app now, deposit some money, a minimum of $20, and put that put in the promo code BCMG, you'll receive a bonus $20. So what, what are you waiting for? Download the app, put in the promo code BCMG, and start winning money today. Free money. Free money, baby. All right, Jay, you wanted to talk a little bit about Giannis Antetokounmpo as the all-star MVP, so why don't you kick that off? Sure. Um so I know it's probably not a big deal, probably not even worth looking into too deeply, but I can't help but think this is just like classic Giannis. His eyes seem to always be on every prize that has nothing to do with winning a championship. 100% effort for a season MVP, 100% effort for every highlight reel dunk he can get, 100% effort for an all-star MVP that no one gives two rips about. I think Giannis needs a complete shift in his psychology. It's time to look in the mirror and realize nothing matters except championships if he wants to avoid going down as just another p- good player who couldn't get it done when it mattered. I do. Actually, that's a good point. I didn't know that was the point you were going to make about it, of how he's too he's too into the the personal stuff and not the uh, not the stuff that, that makes you great. But one thing I did notice in that All-Star game is when he didn't have to be the guy running the offense – he looked fucking good. And I know everyone looks good in an all-star game, but like he was he was flying around. He was having a hell of a time out there. He was hitting threes. He was 16 for 16. Like that guy, I don't know what I saw in the all-star game is that guy needs somebody else who can run the offense and he would be even better than he is now. Even like a Chris Paul, someone like that, someone who's not like going to overshadow his stardom, but can or- make the right plays. <laughs> Or hear me out, Bucks fans. Malcolm Brogdon. <laughs> Former Buck Malcolm Brogdon, who is now tearing it up for the Pacers. Oh, yeah, is he? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, he just, yeah. I, I'd love to see him with somebody who can 
Like legitimate, like, I don't know too much about Brogdon, but can Brogdon legitimately be the centerpiece? Well, he can uh, take enough attention away that Giannis would probably be able to go just do whatever he wants and not have to worry about having the ball constantly. Fair, fair enough. I just think, yeah, he, he could really, really benefit from like one true star playing with him who can be the guy and, uh, and let Giannis just be the, just, it would just let a, a Giannis' athletic, athletic ability shine through, I think, having someone else be the more do- ball-dominant player. Yeah, no, that's fair. But uh, anyways, moving on from Giannis and on to some more news that just happened in the last day or two. Dak Prescott signed a $40 million a year deal. I think it's $160 million total over four years. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, that sounds right. Jet, I know we talked about this in our group chat, our BCMG group chat, but what do you think of this deal? I think that this is the premium that you have to pay for quarterback. It's just the reality of the league at this point. Um, people can weigh in one way or the other, but at the end of the day, you want a quarterback, you're paying a lot of money. Uh, that just is what it is, especially if you're paying for one that can actually do stuff at the position that can take you potentially over the top. Now that comes with a wishy-washy territory of, okay, well then he has to go and do that because you're not paying other positions. And that's a struggle that a lot of teams have actually the, the goat himself, Tom Brady has taken pay cuts his entire career. What's it done? Well, one Super Bowl. So I don't know, maybe it's about time guys start taking pages out of books. But my biggest take from the DAC signing was people were completely overreacting to the numbers and need to start looking at everybody else's numbers because that's just how the league is. I Just to start off, it's bad business to pay for what you hope a guy can do and not pay for what a guy has already shown you he can do. As soon as as soon as it started coming out, like last year, the Dak wanted 35 plus million. I was all over it. I was like, fuck that. He wants to be Russell Wilson and he hasn't proved that he can be anywhere near Russell Wilson yet. And that's not how it should work. And when GMs give in to these demands, like I'm not talking about like, yeah, Mahomes deserves $45 million a year. He does. Aaron Rodgers deserves whatever the fuck he wants, right? Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, they deserve their 35, $39 million a year. They've earned that stuff. Maybe not even Deshaun Watson, honestly, $39 million a year. He's the second best quarterback in the league, but has he really done anything to earn that yet? But so, yeah, I just, you got to, and once GMs start giving into these demands, that ruins it for everybody. I brought it up uh, in the NHL, Kyle Dubas. He had to sign Mitch Marner and, and, and Austin Matthews, and it's coming right after uh, McDavid got a $12.5 million a year deal over seven years like the max that you can max length that you can sign a contract for right so everyone's talking okay well what's Matthew's going to get he's probably going to get 11 or so for seven years which is that would have been fine you know that would have been fine because he isn't a premier talent get him locked up for as long as you can for 11 11 and a half whatever it takes no he wanted five so he could get to free agency faster what does Kyle Dubas do he gives into his demands Gives him $11.5 million over five years. The dude's going to be a free agent at like 27 years old in his prime. Now guess what every other RFA in the league wants. They want that five-year deal coming off the rookie contract, and they're getting it because 
because they have they hold all the cards now because Kyle Dubas is a fucking idiot and he fucked over the entire RFA contract market. And so same thing in the NFL. Every quarterback that has a couple decent seasons, it's like, hey, give me the most money in the league. Why not? And then fucking GMs are doing it. And so we had we had a big discussion here. I know there's you were you were on Dak's side on this one and a couple you weren't the you weren't the biggest guy on Dak's side. That was probably Will was the uh, the biggest guy on Dak's side for this contract. So I came in, I said, an average quarterback should not be making this. Everyone jumped down my throat. Oh, he's not average. He's not average. You know, he's, he's, he's good at this, blah, 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 all this stuff. And I didn't even know this was going to be in the show today. I was just thinking about it because I was like, you know what? Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I have this weird thought of Dak in my head that he's average and he isn't nearly as good. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the stats back up the thing. So I was sitting in my bed, not even knowing that this was going to be on the show today. And I started looking at numbers. You want to know what I found? This is actually super interesting. Passing wise, the closest comparable that I could find to Dak Prescott. Who do you think it is? Could take a wild guess. Jared Goff. Derek Carr. Oh, <laughs> Derek Carr. So funny enough, they both had Amari Cooper. Yeah. But yeah, so just look at this. So per 16 games, uh, per like one full season, Dak averages 3,900 yards. That's pretty solid. That's actually better than I thought. Derek Carr, 39.04 versus the 39.44. 66% completion for Dak, 64.4 for Carr. 24.25 touchdowns per 16-game season versus Carr's 24.7. 1.7 interception percentage, which this one actually surprised me. He is way better. He doesn't throw as many picks as I definitely thought he was. He did. He's, he's one of the best in the league at, at, with the uh, interception percentage. Derek Carr, 1.9. Slightly worse, but still better than a lot of people in the league. 11.6 yards per completion versus Carr's 10.9. 255 yards per game. Carr has 244. And then one of the arguments you brought up when I showed Goff's numbers versus Dak's numbers, you said, now show the rushing stats. And sure, Dak is better than Derek Carr at rushing. He averages about 304 yards per season. But the thing about it is people are giving him credit to be this, this awesome athlete. He's going to get tons of rushing yards. He's in the Mahomes, Rogers, Tannehill realm of things when it comes to rushing. He's not, you know, breaking ankles and running for a thousand over 500 yards. Like, like Wilson and is, Watson. It is the difference between him and a golf though. Yeah. Well, it's the difference between him and Derek Carr for sure. Yeah. But then, again, another close, very close comparable, Ryan Tannehill. A few hundred less yards per, like, averages less per season. A couple percentage points less on the completion. About the same touchdowns. A little bit more interceptions on, on Tannehill's part. Uh, pretty much exactly the same yards per completion. A little bit less yards per game. 229 yards instead of 304. So that's over the course of a season. That's basically nothing, right? So I don't know. This is just where it comes down to me where when we discuss Dak and Tannehill and um, Derek Carr, though, like it is very interesting that they're all comparable, but also at the same time, I think that flips to yes, but I think they should all be argued to be top, top 10 quarterbacks and top 10 quarterbacks make $40 million. <laughs> well, they don't only, well, only two they do, do now. now. 
Well, I'd say Dak is at the back end of the top 10. And the best quarterback in the league makes $45 million a year. So actually the second best quarterback in Grand larceny, by the way. He he got worked by the Chiefs on that one. Second best quarterback in the league uh, makes $39 million a year. Third best and fourth best make, what, 33 and 35, I think, is Rodgers and Wilson. Yeah. So top 10 quarterbacks don't make $40 million a year. I'm just saying the trending because I bet you – I bet you every single one of those was the contract was earlier, contract was earlier, contract was earlier. <laughs> Most likely. But there has to be, like, I don't get it. There has to be some sort of comparable. Like, doesn't there? Can't you, how can you possibly get paid something that there's no basis in stats for you to get paid? He went in there and he was like, give me $40 million. Jerry could have just been like, why? Mm-hmm. Show me how you could possibly deserve more than all of these guys. The Chiefs might have actually done the league a favor with the contract they gave to Mahomes because then you've got, what, like 10 years of the best quarterback in the league making $45 million. So well, it does kind of cap out in that sense. Who's going to have an argument to say they're better than Mahomes? Yeah. This is, this is kind of off, off topic a little bit, but you, kind of, you broke down Mahomes' contract uh, maybe last episode or the episode before that where you know, his, his cap hit isn't actually that bad even though he's making a lot more. His contract is... This is the only time in NFL history that it's been done like this. He gets a percentage of whatever the cap is. Mm-hmm. That's how his contract set up. So I don't know how it works towards the cap hit because you mentioned how he doesn't actually have over 35 million cap hit in a lot of his years, which is really great. But, you know, if the cap is at, you know, he gets like 40% of the cap or some shit like that, some ridiculous or like 20, well, maybe it's not 40, but like his, his salary yeah. is based on a percentage of the cap. So the cap goes up, he makes more money. Maybe that won't lead to higher cap hits but he's making a ton of money on this on this contract that's a super interesting managerial move i wonder if more teams will start doing that there's only a few guys who could earn that though honestly right you have to you have to be sure the guy's gonna be around for like 10 years yeah true so like i could see maybe arizona doing something similar with kyler yeah you know what i'm saying though like instead of looking at looking at it from like individual contracts and things of that nature look at each position or each player as a percentage yeah yeah that yeah, what what, it, an, what do you bring to the success of this team yeah and like i don't i i was definitely highballing there on 40 percent, but it's for Mahomes because that's way too much but yeah he, he is worth you know if the money goes up he deserves to get paid more because they have more money to spend on him yeah uh, back to dak so what I found too is there's a few guys, you know, guys like Stafford Goff, and actually averages more yards per season. Um, so there's a few guys who I'd say Dak passing wise is around the 10, 11 to 12 spot quarterback, right? He's above average passing wise and he's above average rushing wise. But the thing is the rushing wise he doesn't actually elevate himself past anybody else either you know he's going to get more rushing yards than Goff and Stafford and you know Baker and Cousins guys like this right but you know he's right in the same realm as Tannehill same realm as Mahomes same realm as Rodgers in rushing wise and he's a huge step behind Watson Wilson Lamar and Kyler so it's like he's not elite at any one spot even even the best part of his game his athleticism is top 
seven, top six mm-hmm. in the league. You know, so that that's just getting it all out there. That's what pisses me off. And I know I've said multiple times that I hate Dak. I don't actually hate the guy. I hate the hype that he gets. Yeah. And I hate the fact that he thinks he's worth $40 million a year because there's nothing that backs that up. Yeah. Well, as a football fan, uh, I'm very happy for him because it means that the Cowboys have less money to work with. So. <laughs> yep. Me too. Suck it, Cowboys. <laughs> all right. Now that that's all off my chest, uh, next up we got a new segment. We call, we're calling it Contender Pretender Series where we look at a couple teams in the NHL that are heading in different directions. So while some of the teams might not officially be contenders or even pretenders just yet, uh, this, is just us, this is just us reading the signs, reading the cards, and, and pointing out who's on the rise and who's on the decline. So, Jed, I'm going to let you start this one off with, uh, and tell us about the, the couple teams that we got here. Yeah, all right. Well, let's start here. The Minnesota Wild are on a wild, pun intended, pace right now as they are winners of seven of their last ten games. On the schneid right now is the Boston Bruins. Uh, They've been slipping as of late, winning only three of their last ten games. In six of the last ten games, Minnesota scored more than four goals, largely led by Kirill Kaprizov, Jordan Greenway, as well as the now healthy Matt Zuccarello. Matt Zuccarello. Did I say moots? (laughs) I don't even know. Compound this with the fact that Minnesota's goaltenders have found found a spark as late. Uh, they've only allowed two goals or less in seven of the last ten games, and you've got a formula for some serious success. I bet you uh, those seven out of ten were wins. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Their power play is dead last in the NHL, which is pretty intriguing because you got to believe that at some point those numbers should potentially pick up, making the team even more lethal. Uh, having the sixth best uh, penalty kill in the game also helps because it keeps you in every game. Um, So that's a team to keep an eye on rising on the schneid here again is these Boston Bruins. Their biggest issue got to be the fact that they really don't have much for depth. Uh, There's just not enough scoring throughout the lineup. Brad Marchand, Patrice Bergeron, David Pasternak, Charlie McAvoy, and even to an extent Nick Ritchie have done their part and then some, but the points are extremely hard to come by past those guys. Uh, the Bruins have only managed to win eight games in regulation this season, so that's going to be a problem because the second you get into overtime or a shootout, it really turns into anybody's game. And then after that, uh, another issue with the team that I think people got to keep in mind is that Tuukka Rask has been laboring as of late over the last couple of weeks, actually. And now there's concerns that he might actually be hurt and out for some time. So got to keep an eye on those Bruins. They, they might be dropping. Yeah. And I just want to clarify too, that we're, we're not talking, this isn't like a power ranking type of deal. We're not just talking about teams that look good right now or teams that I think I truly believe that the Minnesota wild are an up and coming team. They're going to be a very good team for a long time here. They have the right pieces in place. Kiro Kapazov is everything that he was projected to be and more probably. I think he's leading the rookies in points right now. Yeah. If not, he's damn near his way to, to leading all rookies in points. He's probably going to win the Calder this year. Kevin Fiala, wait, is he still? He's there, right? Yep. He had a big breakout last year, so he's another, another young piece that, that's kind of on the, on the rise. I think this is a very strong team moving forward. And – and the opposite is true for Boston. Like, they're going to finish decent in the standings. They're going to make the playoffs. They might even win a couple rounds this year. Who knows? But, you know, Marshawn's over 30. 
Bergeron's like 36. They're really you know? clinging on to the ghosts of the past, it feels like. Yeah, Krejci's in his mid-30s right now. You know, they have Pasternak, who's going to be a stud for a lot of years, and they have Charlie McFly too. But really, this, this team's window might have ended last year. Last year might have been their last good chance at a cup uh, with, this, with this core, and, and I, think they're, I think they're past their prime. Um, big reason why is the defense. I mean, they lost Krug, and as much as you hate Chara, uh, you think he sucks now. You know, as a fourth defenseman, I would take Chara on my team. Just that reach, yeah, yeah. just a steady guy, you know. No, no was, I hear he, that. My complaints with Chara down. was he was he was getting like 21, 22 minutes a night, yeah. even more sometimes. And I just like you'd watch the game and he's he's gassed. He's breathing like heavily for air. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> guys, you got to figure something else out here. Yeah, no, he he wasn't. He was clearly not top pair anymore. But he's a very stabilizing force to have on your second pair or something like that. And and now and then especially losing Krug too. Yeah, I don't even know who's uh, they have Charlie McFoy and then who's their number two? Brandon Carlo. Probably like that's a guy who I don't get me wrong. I like Brandon Carlo. He's a good player when he's your three or your four mm-hmm. when he's your second best defenseman. Yeah. That's a weak defense. And, and yeah, if Tukarask is banged up, uh, that's, that's huge for this season. And you know, if this is their last big chance to even do anything in the playoffs and you're missing Tukarask for parts of the season, it's, it's going to be a struggle. And I, I think, I think the Bruins are gonna are heading towards having to do well, this is one of those teams that, you know, rebuild really isn't in their near future because what are you gonna do with Bergeron? Are you really gonna trade him? You kinda gotta wait out Bergeron Krejci and then hope to have enough in the in the cupboards to to help out Pasternak and McAvoy uh by then and do yeah, a, do uh, a little bit of retool is, what in a few you, years. What do you what do you do with Marshawn? Right, like, is that a a life for Bruin? I I don't know. You know I'm not a Bruins see, fan. I don't I don't read the forum, so I don't know how they feel about that. I guess now that I'm thinking about it, I could see Marchand being traded in the next couple of years, and I can see Krejci being traded in the last, next couple of years. I think Bergeron is there for life, though. Yeah, I don't even want to see him on another team. Yeah. Luckily, he's not one of these like Joe Thornton's born in Toronto and goes back because. Fuck! If I if I had to see Bergeron on Toronto, I'd probably fucking throw up. Yeah, no kidding. Um, they might be in tough to move Krejci though. Uh, he's really not looked good this year. No, that's true. But he he looked really good in the playoffs last year. Yeah. So you know he's still got some juice. He's got nobody to play with, man. That's true. Like I don't even know. Like he's playing with like who? Like Nick Ritchie and uh, Ritchie and Andre Cash. Yeah. Is Cash there? Or is he hurt again? Because that guy's always hurt too. Honestly, I, I'm not even sure. Uh, I the only thing I ever hear about Bruins is the top line doing stuff, and that's it. Yeah, because that top line's still legit. But yeah, so those are a couple teams that were. And we'll do this every. I mean, our episodes aren't exactly weekly right now, but we'll probably do this. We'll probably end the show with this uh, for the next few episodes, at least until we run out of teams that are on the rise and on the decline. Um, yeah, those are a couple teams that we kind of picked out that. One of them's on their way to being a force in this league, I think, and the other one's on their way to uh, having some some troubles. But anyways, that's our show for today. So from myself and Jet and everyone at Blue Collar Media Group, thanks for tuning in, and hopefully we'll see you next time.